Welcome to Videohead. I'm writer and director Daniel Ralston. On the show, we talk about music videos, yes, but I also want people to note that almost all of our guests' origin stories are the same. There was a band or an artist that the director loved, the director asked the artist if they could make a music video, and they did. Music videos are an accessible way to start your creative life. Go make one. Today I'll be joined by one of my favorite directors, Tamara Davis, and then later by one of the funniest people on Twitter, Pat Monahan, aka at Patty Mo. From her early work with Tone Loke, Depeche Mode, and Easy E, to her groundbreaking work with Sonic Youth, her mentorship of Spike Jones, to Hanson's Mbop video, Tamara Davis is a legend. She's also the go-to director when a breakout star needs a movie. She directed CB4 with Chris Rock, Adam Sandler's Billy Madison, and Dave Chappelle's stoner classic Half-Baked. In this interview, we talk about all of that, including her work with Lou Reed, Bette Midler, and Cher, who starred alongside Beavis and Butthead in Davis's I Got You Babe video. Tamara Davis invited me to her house in Malibu, where we had a career-spanning chat, and make sure you stick around after the Tamara Davis interview to hear Patty Moe and I talk about a Zach Brown Band video that features creepy dads, mountain monsters, and magical bugs. You don't want to miss it. Here's my talk with Tamara Davis. This is Videohead. When you're figuring out that style and what's going to work for a specific artist, apart from spending time with them, what else do you put into that process? What do you feel like you have a list of things that you're going through sort of mentally in your mind? This is a thing about this band that I like. This is what I see other people reacting to. And those are things that I'm going to try to make appear on screen. No, no. No. (laughs) I think if I liked the song, I would get really high and then I'd come up with an idea and then I'd write up a treatment and then it would see if that would get me a phone conversation with the band. Okay. <laughs> this, this is something I, I'm very curious to know about. In those moments, <laughs> Statute of Limitations yeah. is now gone. Right. Has there ever, was there ever one idea that you were like, I can't believe I didn't get to make that video. That would have been the greatest thing. No, no, I don't think so. Because I think that it always, it gets a conversation started. You know, it's like, then you would like write up the video and somebody, like I would write it up with, you know, whatever the way I write. And then like usually the producers would write it correctly so that record company executives could read it. But then really it was just for what that was my favorite part of music videos in that day. It was I got to have a personal relationship with that band. Mm -hmm. So then the band and I would get together and I would be like, what do you guys want to do as well? So we would a lot of times take my idea, but a lot of times I would also listen to what they wanted to do because I always felt that if the band is really into it, then they're gonna they're gonna have fun. They're gonna be down. They're gonna want to have that be their representation. Mm-hmm. I was kind of like a weirdo in the sense that I felt really like that's the band's like calling card. If you made some video that that like didn't really go with what they felt, I don't know. I, I was really against that. So I really wanted to make sure that the band was like that was what they wanted to say, how they wanted to be perceived. So you do have times where you have an artist on camera mm-hmm. and you sort of find out 
that moment, maybe they've never even made a video before that they're kind of a natural. Right, right, They're very charismatic on camera. Is that a thing that has happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tone look. Like, on that one, Matt and I, we were like, you know, whatever. He played me the song. And then he, I think it was his original idea. He was like, at that time, the Robert Palmer video, whatever, something about love. That was like a big video. And so... We were like the cheap club kids that were like, let's just rip it off. Like we know really hot girls. We'll just like put them in black dresses, shoot it against a backdrop and have Tone Loke sing it. So it was like I shot it and like a Bolex. And that's why there's like an actual double exposure in it. But I only had three rolls of film because we did it for four. It was under $400. So I we rolled the first roll wide shot and Tone Loke came on and he was just like, bus it you know whatever he just like does the song and we were like what we had no we just looked at each other like we couldn't believe how much charisma he had and just like he was all swag like it was amazing he's and probably waiting for that moment his whole life his whole life he'd been he'd 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 been like that and the, in a weird way i kind of felt that a lot of the um you know people who did rap music they were really amazing on camera really amazing mm-hmm. and there's also a, this is also an era of music video making where there's a lot of almost like an A B. You have performance footage and then yes, kind of a story. Constantly, yeah. It was like the performance and then you always had like a yeah, the story. Right. Part. And that can feel really natural sometimes. Yeah. Or sometimes you know, it's like like the um the bust a move video. The right. MMC bust a move video yeah. where it's like it's almost like a Van Halen-y kind of story, like a yeah. kid in school being like, you know, yeah. seduced by a nurse or yeah. whatever it is. Do you remember that, like the making of that oh, and, and yeah. like writing out that? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, those were the videos that we were taking down. It was like, that was the establishment. So we referred to it, but in our way. And, you know, on that one, he, it was also kind of storytelling. Like, he, so we were like, playing out what he's talking about but you know we did it with all our friends so like lisa ann is in it max perlick mario caldado tribe called quest like everybody's in that video mm-hmm. that are that are all like super good friends of ours the girls from you know body and soul there was like it just was super fun flea is in it with mm-hmm. his like pants um, so th- I think that it also kind of captured this feeling that we had in LA at the time where black and white was mixing. It was like this party world and everybody just, I don't know, it was like a super fun time. She's dressed in yellow. She says, hello, come sit next to me, you fine fellow. You run over there without a second to lose. And what comes next? Hey, bust the move. And one of your sort of visual styles of that point is like a lot of black and white and then color yeah, footage yeah. cut into that too was that a conscious choice or was that was that born out of some sort of like I think it's like born out of film school and I was like obsessed with old movies and like a lot of you know I love black and white film so uh and then in yeah music videos you could do that and I think it's part of if I had any kind of style it was that I would blend mediums because I would shoot some super 8 and then I would shoot some film or you know and I would just I mean even now like I'm doing something, I'm trying to put like shots from my, um, my, you know, iPhone into a TV show right now. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm always, I think mixing media is cool. Yeah. And you, you know, you see it now people are like shooting movies on them on yeah. an iPhone and you know, some of that it's like a little bit of a marketing Tangerine. thing. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the next year of hip hop is like, there's 
record label money behind videos sort of starting was that was there like when you were making like the doc videos is there like is that still because they look better they look better maybe that's an advance in technology too at the time maybe we had a little bit more money or you know yes than the delicious vinyl we had no money Mm -hmm. we were like just doing it you know it was like the let's have a band in my um garage or something but with the doc that was kind of a funny story with easy e because i had made all those videos and you know had like number one videos and made like delicious vinyl like a lot of money those videos like really stepped up so easy e called me for a meeting because he had this new artist the doc and he was like meet me at capitol records and i was like all right but you're not even on capitol records and he's like just meet me there so then i meet him and he's in the president's office alone sitting behind the desk and i was like what i was like what's this all about and he's like i wanted to show you how what a bit you know whatever how tough i am or what a big guy i am so i kicked him out of the office so i can meet with you here it's like all right that's pretty impressive you know (laughs) and i just i thought it was also funny so i laughed and stuff and um yeah and then i started doing videos for i did like four or five videos for him and we did a short film as well Mm -hmm. he was really into wanting to do movies um but yeah, and but I think like he, you know, he's a businessman. He's like, I want, I want to make this video. I want it to be really good. I want, it, I like how you do things, and yeah, yeah. And there must be some obvious returns there. It's like, I well, look, if you hadn't made those videos, those songs would not have done what they did. Oh, so yeah. he obviously saw the correlation. And, uh, yeah, and you, it seemed like you had a pretty good working relationship with him during that time, right? Yeah, and then at the very end, I kind of put my foot down. I just at the end, I was like, this is too much. Like I don't, misogyny stuff? Yeah, or, yeah, it was like a lot of bad yeah. girl stuff. And then also, I just felt bad like promoting that. I was like, I don't want to spend my creative ability promoting this lifestyle. It was at the end, um, I wasn't, I kind of had a little thing with him because I wasn't really happy with what he was doing. At the same time that this is happening, and and it, this probably goes back to your sort of art background, there's also like the downtown New York scene coming up at the same time that all of this is happening. And then you end up, you know, obviously directing videos for Sonic Youth down the road. How early were you aware of like no wave stuff going on in New York, meeting up with what you were doing on the West Coast? Like, were you, obviously you were aware of through your friends and things like that about art. Were you going to New York a lot then? Yeah, like I, w- my first husband was a, a artist, so I was I worked in an art gallery, so I was definitely familiar with the whole, da- you know, LA art scene and the New York art scene, and then um, that's how I actually met Matt Dyke, as I was working in a gallery, and he was he and he was working in a gallery just around the corner for Larry Gagosian, and so I was working for Erika Cantor, and he and I were like the 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 gallery assistants, mm-hmm. and um, that's a. So we met through that, and that's when I met Jean-Michel Basquiat as well, because he came to do a show at Larry's, and we were like the kids that had to drive him around and take him out. So I kind of like knew, and from that, like when I went to New York with Matt Dyke to promote Delicious Vinyl, um, we stayed at Jean-Michel's house, and that's actually when I met Mike D is from Matt and from that whole world. So I was kind of like going back and forth in that, but... Kim I knew actually earlier because she, I knew her through like the Cal Art scene. My sister went to Cal Art, so Mike Kelly and Tony Ausler and that whole world. And so I, I met Kim Gordon and she also was good friends with um, the guy who wrote, um, Matthew Bright, who wrote my first script, the one that got 
taken away from me, Gun Crazy, mm -hmm. which I ended up directing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it took six mm -hmm. years. 92, 93? Yeah, yeah, right around there. First of all, for somebody exactly my age, yeah. those Sonic Youth videos are oh, like iconic the best. and the best. I loved and, them. Yeah. And, Love. and I loved our working relationship with them. Like Kim and Thurston and I really like we, it was so fun like to be able to have that relationship with them where you're talking about stuff and coming up with ideas. And I think that was, that's like the best part. Do you remember early on having moments where you you seem like a, a relatively flexible person? Like you 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 can listen to ideas and be able to mm -hmm. hear them hear them, internalize them. Do you ever remember power struggle things happening on certain videos, or or was it the relationship with the artist? Did you let that dictate it? I assume. Yeah, it's weird. I think that that it was an early thing that I learned is is that. I have to respect somebody in order to creatively work with them. Mm -hmm. And if I respected them, I would I would listen to whatever suggestion they had because I respect them creatively. If I didn't like anybody, anything they said to me, I would just be like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like I couldn't listen to them creatively. So I, I made it a point that I really could not work with anybody, even to the day, to this day, that I don't really like want to sit in a meeting with and think like, this is so awesome. I can't believe I'm collaborating with this person. I love their ideas. How can I make their ideas come true? How can I, how can we collaborate? Yeah. The same year that you direct the cool thing video, mm -hmm. you also direct a video for Bette Midler, which yeah. you referenced, which was the from a distance video. Yeah. How does that job come into your lap? It seems like it's very outside of the rest of the world. But I was also, I did Lou Reed videos. Right. I did like, I did like a lot, Etta James. Like I was doing, sometimes I would do like these classic videos here and there. I would get the, I don't know, like they, they needed to make videos back in the day. They would be like, <laughs> we need a video here. And I, I was like the person at my agency that, you know, of course I'm like, Etta James, hell yeah. Even though it was maybe a $35,000 video, I'd be like, I'll do anything to work with Etta James or Lou Reed, you know, whatever. So I would do a lot of the videos that like that. And, and bet, I think I knew, I knew, I, I, I mean, I know I did know Bet personally, but I don't know if that's why I got the job. I, I think, I think it was a combination that she knew of me and we knew each other personally. And mm. then, yeah, but it was like, it's kind of the same thing. And yeah, when you work with, uh, I love that song. I, you know, it was fun coming up with those concepts and um, I got to work with, yeah, bigger budgets and really cool DPs. So it was really fun. And I could see hearing a song like that and just being like, Holy shit, like this it's is going to be a monster song, song yeah. too. It's gorgeous, obviously. <laughs> yeah. From a distance, the world looks blue and green. And the snow. She obviously a big personality. Somebody, yeah. And I could see somebody like Lou Reed. I mean, like, do you ever run into people who are just like, I don't like making videos. I don't want to oh. be doing this. Oh, yeah. That was yeah. Lou Reed. So I was so excited. I read everything about the Velvet Underground before meeting with them. And I, they were like, okay, you're going to go to New York. We're going to meet them backstage. And I'm like sitting there like finger, like hands on you know, my lap, like waiting. He comes backstage and he just starts yelling at me in a room filled with people. And I like you specifically. Me specifically. I fucking hate music videos. If you think I'm gonna lip sync, fuck you. Like, like, just went crazy on me. And I stood up because it felt really weird to be yelled at sitting down. So I stood up carefully, and I stood up to him, and I was like, 
look, we'll do this video and we'll do it the way you want. And if you don't want to do playback, you don't have to do playback. We'll make it happen. Whatever way you want to do it, we'll make it happen. I'm, we'll have a great time. So I go and he's like, okay, I'll give you two hours before my show in like Detroit or some city. I'm like, great, totally fine. So I show up, I like, I get it all ready and I work with him for an hour and 45 minutes. He shows up with a shirt that's filled with swear words. I'm like, dude, you know about that. And he's like, he's so trying so hard to make it not possible. So he does the thing for an hour and 45 minutes. And then I'm like, look, the last 15 minutes, would you do me a favor and sit in just this beautiful auditorium alone, your guitar and a pig amp and sing me the same song just like that? Because mm-hmm. that was like what I remembered about Lou Reed. And he would like, Gave me a dirty look for, at first, and he was like, okay. And he sat out there, and I filmed that. And that, like, I did the big music video, Bus mm-hmm. Load of Faith, but then I did that, and that was fucking amazing. That became a single. Uh-huh. And and also, he, like, later, he came to me, and he was like, thank you for the video. I know it was an out, you know, whatever. He was like, apologized. And then he really thanked me for doing that, because he was like, that really inspired me. And I was like, oh, my God. But I was, like, inspired by him and inspired by, like, the music that I loved of his as well. And it must be nice to feel like you maybe made him see that whole situation differently. And he certainly did embrace the form later too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He went back and then, so it was just really cool. And also just that, yeah, that I, you know, whatever I, you can stand up to these people and it helps me to the day. I mean, I was on the set the other day and this main actor tried to give me some heat and I just stood up and the crew was like, wow, she really stood up to that guy. And I was just like in my head going, fucking have stood up to Lee Reed share. I was like, I've stood up to all these people. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to buckle down now. Well, the next thing on my list to ask you about is that share video, oh, which yeah, yeah. for people who don't know is share with Beavis and Butthead doing, I got you babe from the Beavis and Butthead movie soundtrack. It was so fun. Uh, yeah. can, can you, t- first of all, making a live action animated video. That was a new process, I assume. So new. Tell nobody me about had ever that. done that. What well, was crazy, nobody had ever, I was like very new. And, um, but my favorite thing was like, I had to do all these meetings with Mike Judge before I met him in person. And so it was only like conference call meetings. And his voice sounded exactly like Beavis and Butthead. And so I just kept imagining he was on the other line, all of the phone conversations. So that was super surreal for me. And then working with her, I admire her. I love her. Like, she's amazing. Like, I did my history with her as well. And, like, I worship her. She was also so tough. She was, like, super, like, I'd be like, oh, we're doing all this blue screen. You can't really, like, have all leather. Mm -hmm. And she just like to me, she's like, get used to it. It's like, oh okay like <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, like wow your hair it's like so crazy you know I was so big like the blue screen is gonna have she's like get used to it I was like whoa she was like super tough and then at one point like I did a close-up of her for the whole take because I had uh, storyboards and you know she has to look at a thing and all this stuff is like super planned out technical and I was like they told me yeah so um and she flipped out on me and it was like a big deal i had to get her back off the set like nobody would help me no record company people helped me nobody helped me um and then we got her back and but it was it was hard and in the end she was really happy and again it's like i think they get upset like sometimes people do things that upset these people and they think everything and they have to put their foot down and i totally get it and i'm grateful to give them a a a situation where it goes a good way and you know from the artist's perspective it's also i think we are all can all be guilty of 
judging people we come across by people we've met before. Yeah. You know, yeah, and yeah. it's like, I'm sure that that all comes from some sort of psychic damage or experience that they've had yeah. along the way. They're like, oh, they're going to make me do something I don't want to do. So I'm going to say this. Yeah. It and happens. It happens. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know. And like with this actor, I was like, God, this would be terrible if, uh, if it was misogynist. And then I like looked up, looked him up and just thought about it. I was like, I don't think he treated me like that because it was misogynist. I think he just has a general rebellion against authority. Mm-hmm. And I, as a director, can am an authority figure. And so I think that sometimes that's what people are who are musicians. A lot of times they get in there because it's like whatever. It's like anti-authority. And so... Um, so I sometimes get that attitude a little bit until they come at me as a creative and then mm-hmm. that's okay. Um, yeah, it's funny. That's one of the only videos that I kind of, of your work that I didn't actually realize you directed because uh-huh. I just assumed Mike Judge had directed it. Right, right. Was that something where he gave you creative freedom to work with the characters and do what you wanted to do or did it come in pretty well? The beats? I mean, I think it was pretty, you know, it's, I think it was like a big collaboration thing. It's like, mm-hmm. those, that was a huge video. So it mm-hmm. was like, animated and she's on a motorcycle like all that stuff was yeah it -hmm. was it was complicated and it was fun i worked bill pope who was married to sharon oric who was my producer he and i'd worked together a bunch and he shot it and so um i love he's like such an amazing dp so Um, he shot like matrix scott pilgrim jungle book mm -hmm. so awesome Do you have do you have other people like that who you've continued to work with and stayed in your life and, and or is it something where you're do you find that like from project to project you're wanting to work with the same people or work with different people when it's when you're the one who's sort of calling the shots? Rarely am I the one that's calling the shots. Like in music videos, a little bit more. I would have like DPs that I would work with, and that was amazing. But you know, in what I do now, I do a lot of television. Rarely do I get to call like what DP I want or what production designer mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And so you really have to be good at working with people and figuring out how to get the best out of people because it's always a different way. Everybody's so different. Yeah, it seems like getting into TV directing has been a thing that has has other, direct, other directors yeah, yeah. of your era have done as well. Do you think that there's a reason for that or is it just that that is where the work went? I think it's, I mean, a lot of us first started out doing features and that was amazing. Like there was a cool kind of whole indie film, you know, or like we were doing like movies, but the movie business changed so radically in the last like five to 10 years. So a lot of us then television really exploded. And um, I think that we're all kind of familiar with, you know, how to deliver, how to deliver product, how to deli- how to put your touch on something but also make it acceptable and you know for people that that they like it Mm -hmm. when you talk about people who you get to work with people on camera um, the artists who you kind of get to be a part of their world and you learn about them somebody who comes to mind that you worked with for me is evan dando who like on camera like couldn't look better obviously like just an extremely charismatic person so you directed two videos for the limitas uh it's about time and big Big, gay heart yes uh can you tell me a little bit about working with evan and what those making of those videos were like because i have sort of a follow-up question to that oh good well i mean it was so fun because at that time evan dando was like whatever Keanu Reeves I mean he was like the pop star cutie boy that Mm. we would all like oh my god he's so cute and so being friends with like Kim Gordon or Chloe Sevigny like we'd always you know he was like 
I think even like Ben Lee made a song about like wanting to be Evan mm-hmm. Dando. I wish like, I was him. I wish I was him. Yeah. You know, so it was like he was part of our like everybody wants to like be Evan Dando. So it was so fun working with him because he was exactly what you think. You know, he was like adorable, like kind of that cute boyfriend Dog, like puppy dog kind of guy and you know yes smart and whatever but really he he really was such a big flirt like he I we just loved him so I had the best time making those videos with him he was so fun and so charismatic and just you know being able to collaborate with him and talk to him on the phone and hang out with him and it was fun. Like on the first one, I think it's like Angelina Jolie is in it. Mm-hmm. And also, is it Amy Smart? Like we had like cute girls in these videos that ended up like having huge careers. Yeah, it was a real jumping off point because you see that like in even in like the 100% video, yeah. the Sonic Youth video that you co-directed with yeah. Spike Jones. It's like you have Jason Lee. Yeah, yeah. Well, on the 100%, I don't think Spike doesn't get co-directing credit on that. He, okay. I, on that one, Kim and Thurston kind of, we knew about Spike and also my husband, Mike, had worked with Spike and Spike had done all these like amazing skateboarder videos and so we hired him and Jason Lee to do all those like the B-roll part of that mm. stuff and that was when I first really started working with Spike and um, I was asking him if he, it, I put a, I was like, will you hold this camera skateboarding? And he hadn't really like shot stuff specifically like that. He'd done mostly stills. And, um, and so then I started, I was like, at the time my husband, I realized I couldn't direct videos for my husband's band. It was kind of weird. Like it was not Yoko Ono-ish, but it was just weird. Like it, I didn't, see that. it yeah. wouldn't work. So when I met Spike, I thought he would be a great person to kind of work with them. So I was kind of hoping and kind of trained him. So I co-directed a Hurricane Beastie Boys video with him mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, and then also, yeah, a couple other little side things. Well, I'll make sure that the internet works on correcting the fact that sometimes it's billed as you two co-directing oh, that video. So. Well, I mean, it's I'm psyched. I'd like to see the <laughs> two of our names, but that was like his first thing. Yeah. It was more to just point out that like he was just like super unknown and fresh at that point, and he was just kind of a skater. Him and Jason. Yeah, and the video it definitely like. There were a million videos that came afterwards that yeah. were like yeah. very, very similar too. I mean, it That's makes sense. Awesome. It's like, well, it also is rooted in like musician people hanging out with skateboarders and yeah, stuff like yeah. that too. Yeah. Um, but that brings up my next question. So you have this sort of like delicious vinyl, like Dust Brothers world. And then you work with one very handsome blonde guy named Evan Dando. And then eventually you direct the video for Mbop by Hanson. Love, love. Uh, do you feel like that Hanson to me has always seemed like a group where it's like it seems like a lot of forces came together because they were such a perfect thing. Like you couldn't <laughs> if you if you wrote it into a script or something, people would be like, yeah, this isn't believable. Yeah. It's like these three adorable brothers who all play the right instruments. It um, was crazy. Do you remember what? Like so, you when you when you made that video, were they already a thing, or were they? No, okay. God, no, no. When I made that video, I knew that the Dust Brothers produced the song, so mm. that was like, I think it was Danny Goldberg was behind them, and I've known Danny Goldberg forever, and he was like, hey. Um, and he sent me like this envelope and it had the song in it and it had their passport photos. That was like the only photography that they had done. Like they were 
totally unknown. It, and I took one look at that middle kid's passport photo and I was like, I would fucking be in love with this kid when if I was 12 years old. I, I would be like, this is the kid. He's like the cutest kid I've ever seen. So I just looked, at, I just kept staring at him going, oh my God, I'm like teen beat, heart crush, love. Like uh -huh. he was so cute. And then, um, and I just got on the phone with them and just started to talk to them about what did, what did they want to do? How did they see themselves? And, um, yeah, and we, that's the Umbop video. A lot of it's their ideas mixed with, like, of course, I wanted to film them at the house that was like a Dust Brothers house. And, um, but yeah, it was like, what do you guys, what are you guys into, and stuff like that. I think that moment that you're talking about is actually pretty significant because there was a real rejection of that kind of stuff for a, a period of like seven or eight years, like post New Kids, where it right, was right. like, we don't do the boy band thing, right. like that's not, you know. And then like Hanson comes along, and all of a sudden it's like. It's almost like a 70s throwback. They even kind of look yeah. 70s, like yeah. Partridge Family yeah, sort yeah. of haircuts and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, I was that's totally influenced by that. And that house you shot yeah. the video in has that look too. Yeah. It definitely sort of like yeah. fits something. Yeah. Um, and of course, around this time, you... I just want to touch you a little... You know, I did a New Kids video. You did? Which New Kids video did you do? Call It What You Want. Okay. It's insane. Do you... Um, I love it. Which... What Do you remember what that video is? I have not seen that one. You should see it. It's okay. kind of... It's kind of intense. It's... um They... The record company hired me to do the video and they had lost contact with the video. The band was... I'm the... Um, they lost contact with the band. They were so big that they weren't even communicating with the record company anymore. So they just like sent me out on tour to find the band and convince them to do a music video. And I did. And I spent like a few weeks on tour with them. And so it's all my behind the scenes footage of mm -hmm. them. And it's amazing. And then I shot like, you know, performance footage of them, like from the tour and sound checks and stuff like that. But um, it's, it, I love it. I love it. It's really fun. And it's the, it's basically, for me, it was really interesting. It was almost documentary-ish because mm -hmm. I, I got to like become really close with like each one of those boys. I would ride on their bus and I would film all this like behind the scenes stuff. And I, I was so fascinating because they were at the stage where they were so huge, but they were also so conflicted. Like Jordan, I remember him sitting on a bed telling me like, he's like, I, because I don't know, I don't like, he's like, I can't even like, if I go like this, they scream. He goes, what does that mean? He goes, it's just doesn't mean anything. And he was like so tortured by what he had become and what it represented and who he was. And, and I was like, man, you guys, you, and, and I realized also they weren't talking to girls. They would have sex with girls or they had mothers, but they never, they weren't even having conversations with a person, a girl. And so it was so nice to talk to them and have like a normal conversation. And just because I feel like I have you here, I should touch on a little bit of, 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 right. your, of your film career as uh -huh. well. Um, so just anecdotally, I was watching an interview show on TV the other day, uh -huh. and there were two guests. One was Seth Rogen, and one was Ricky Williams, a football player. Uh -huh. And they were had never met before, uh -huh. but they agreed that Half-Baked is the greatest stoner <laughs> comedy of all time. Awesome! <laughs> Which That's was, insane. <laughs> uh, can you just tell me a little bit about how you got involved with the movie Half-Baked? And... When you were making it, did you have a sense that it was going to be a thing that all these years later people are just like still obsessed with? 
I, you, you never know. I mean, I think that on anything and even like last week when you work on something new as a, you kind of have this secret, like the crew, yourself, the actors, and you don't, all you could do is go with what you think is funny or what you mm. believe in. And so it's just like this faith and this trust and this thing that you love. And, but once you finish it, you really have no idea what's going to happen. And you just have to be happy with your work mm -hmm. and you hope that it becomes big, but you also hope that you just hope that you did the best you were able to do at the time, given whatever you were do doing. But um, so when we, when I did Half Baked, I had done um, Billy Madison for Universal. And I had, um, and they, and I'd worked with Bob Simons, who um, was the producer of Half Baked. And he, and he sent me the script and it was like, I think they were like going to start shooting in like three weeks. Like they needed a director like now. And I had I'd done two pictures at Universal. I did CB4 with Chris Rock. Classic. And I, I had the best time. And um, Billy Madison starring Adam Sandler. Both of those guys, that was their first film. So mm -hmm. it was like their first stuff. And so it, for Universal, they were like, this is Tamara Davis, perfect new comedian, you know, 23, they're 23 years old, him and Neil Brennan, I know. And, um, and I read the first scene and I was like, this is hilarious. The, the scene in the 7-Eleven, I didn't even read further. And I called Bob Simons. I was like, I'm in, I'm in. I was like, whatever this is, this is hilarious. Bring me in. So I went in and met with those guys and it was like, it was just like, you're on. It, it just went boom. I hadn't even read the script. I mean, like I read that first scene and I knew that whoever wrote that, it was going to be hilarious. And of course, I read the rest of it before the meeting. But I was like, this is so funny. This voice is so unique and cool. And I just thought it was hilarious. And yeah, we had the best time making that movie. It was really fun. And then a movie like that comes out and there's like a brief period of time where kind of nobody knows what to do with it. Yeah. Like where like critics are like, this is funny, but we don't know if it's going to be like a thing that everybody jumps all over. Right, right. And then it is, and then it gets reevaluated down right. the road as being right. like an all-timer. Right. Right. Does that feel, that has to feel personally pretty gratifying. I feel like you just, you never know. And I mean, I feel it's the same thing, you know, I'm living for whatever, so many years with a husband who's a musician that you make these records or you make a movie and you do what you're doing at that time. And sometimes you can't control how the critics receive it or how it gets out there. But if it's a good piece of work, it'll continue to live out there. And that's why you always have to put out good work because mm -hmm. it lasts, you know, yeah. it's out there. So um, I feel like on all those films, each one they came out, they were, I think each one was either number one or number two at the box office. So they all opened well. Um, but they also got critically, sometimes they got pretty much critically sl slammed. But I was at the point where we had tested them with my audience. And I was like, the audience was like off the chart. It was crazy. I mean, there's there's a story and it is true that um, they snuck my film at uh, on Half Baked and watched the first the opening scene and they told me they wanted to cut that opening scene and I was like no way that's like the whole reason I made this movie is that opening <laughs> scene so I was like let me screen it and if you guys think we have to cut it you can tell me we should cut it but let me see what my audience thinks of it and I stood there in the back row and like Pasadena with 400 kids watching it or 400 people watching it with all the universal executives and stuff and they played the opening scene and the theater just went crazy they were in the aisles they were standing up 
They were like, they were going bananas. I'd never seen a theater act like that. And the the head guy, whatever, looks at me and he's like, okay, you can keep your opening. And I was like, thank you. But like, you made me go crazy. Like I was, pounds of water were dripping off of me and you know, I fought for it. And, but it was, it so it was good. And, but then also they didn't know cause people were like smoking weed in the theaters right. and the theater owners were getting all freaked out and the company was owned by Seagram's and they were like, they didn't want to be known as a pot movie. And so it was like this huge, like they, they couldn't really promote it how they wanted to at Universal cause it was a Universal mm-hmm. film. But at the same time, um, it just, the underground and the audience response to it just kept going. It's crazy. And that's a, that's a pretty, it seems like a common thing in like 90s filmmaking when you read about the history of like 90s indie film the decision to screen a movie in like central new jersey as opposed yeah. to in new york city makes a huge difference with how it does with the test audiences and it's kind of i don't know i guess at some point you realize the work just has to be good and people are going to respond to it or, or they're not going to yeah and i was just always i test my i trust my audience i don't like yes i'm so happy that you're an executive and you're the president but you're the third president that i've gone through and i'm still here making movies and i hope you're going to be there after me but I want to see what my audience thinks of it. I didn't make the movie for you, Mr. 40, 50-year-old executive. I made it for my friends and I and all those kids in the audience. Mm -hmm. So I want them to be my, you know, my, the the critic. And if there's ever been a greater example of that, then you're making a movie for a specific audience, but also has in retrospect now like a pretty amazing feminist message in it which is Crossroads the movie that oh, you yeah, made yeah. with Britney Spears awesome. which by the way I was at a reading in downtown New York about a year and a half ago and like four different people read essays about how much they love that movie oh, just thank you, so you I know. know I know I loved making that movie I had the best time and working with Britney was crazy and fun and Shonda Rhimes was like the writer and mm. you know executive and, and or the one of the producers and sat with me and that was really amazing but on that yeah we tested that Sherry Lansing made me test it like five times and every time the scores went through the roof especially girls like it was the it was every girl's favorite movie and I was so proud of it and then it just made me sad in the sense that one jerk dude could like yell some comment in the theater and be like the hero to make fun of her and then you know it would get like a negative reputation or something and usually it was just like it made me sad because I think Brittany took a lot of heat and she was great and a lot of people really loved that movie and it, and it affected a lot of people. When I think about the way that she was treated and portrayed by the media then yeah. as opposed to now it's like if there's there's so many awful things about social media yeah. and, but one thing is the sort of equilibrium of voices where more people are saying you can't just treat people like this even somebody yeah. like a you know um uh, Lindsay lohan or somebody yeah, like yeah. that there is no way she would be treated now the way she was at that point things like mental health are talked about more things yeah. like the way that sort of men manipulate the way that things come out into the world and the way that they're yeah. perceived like i hope the world is sick of hearing like some middle-aged white dude's opinion about a movie for 16 year old girls yeah why would anybody Why care would, about that? Care? Yeah, it was like if it, those girls, if it meant something to them, that's who I was making the movie for. But yeah, so and and it stands in that sense. Like I've, I'm so proud of it, and I think she did really great in it. So she was, I was happy with that. Uh, and did you make a conscious decision to stop directing music videos? I don't know if it was conscious. I think that my career went like music videos, then I did features, and then I had kids. 
And then I started to do, like I did more documentary and then really into television. So it was kind of like each one was almost like a decade of my life. And so it wasn't, I think it was more that music videos really changed. And I remember one of the last music videos I was doing, the produce, the record company was like sitting right next to me trying to determine what color shirt the guy would wear. Like they were so involved. And I was like, at, at the end of the, it was like a commercial. And I was like, at the end of the day, if this band makes it or doesn't, if it's your decision with the choices, then we're all we're all screwed. Yeah, why are you even there? Why are you? Yeah, I was like, <laughs> if I'm not making the choices and the band's not making the choices, like, why is this woman making the choices? And so I was just like, I don't like to work that way. I think that it should be what the band thinks or the creative people, not the executives that sit at the desk and unless they're like genius and mm -hmm. you're working with like some brilliant person. So I, I just couldn't work like that again with I want to I'll listen to anything you have to say, but you have to have my respect. Tamara, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Pat Monahan, thank you very much for joining me here today. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Every once in a while, I see a music video that really kind of takes my breath away. Sometimes that happens because it's amazing. Sometimes it happens because I'm just in shock at what I'm looking at. And sometimes it just feels like, damn, I really need to text Pat right now and tell him to watch this video too so that we can talk about it immediately. Uh, Pat, the video that I sent you a few days ago was I'll Be Your Man, Song for a Daughter by the Zac Brown Band. Uh, for those who don't know, Zac Brown Band is a very popular country act. I recently learned that there is a Zac Brown cover band. That's how popular they are. So uh, this is a video that a lot of people will see. It has almost a million views already. It's only been out for a couple of weeks. And the story of the video is essentially Zac Brown plays a father giving a lesson to his daughter about love, about life, and all those kinds of things that might happen in a country song. You and I, uh, I feel like, find the same things weird. We find the same things odd. We find the same things great often at the same time. And when I saw this Zach Brown video, I knew that I had to send it to you right away. The video deals with some heavy themes. Uh, there's adultery. There's the relationship between a father and daughter. There's first love, first heartbreak. When I sent you a Zach Brown video, what, are you, what were you expecting to get into it? And how different was that from what you actually got? I was expecting a bunch of guys sitting around drinking out of mason jars in like a tailgate or something. Because I think their other song that I know was about fried chicken or something like that and, and cold beer. So, uh, yeah, this was a bit of a departure, I have to say. And I wasn't expecting to get a... Uh, a mini fantasy epic, or at least in my interpretation. Well, the other thing, too, is that this does harken back to an era of music videos that I think is awesome, which is like Guns N' Roses November Rain. It's trying to really, they're trying to make a movie here where the song has almost become like a completely secondary thing. Yeah, it's like, it's almost, it reminds me almost more of Meatloaf. Those, those insane Meatloaf videos where there's a bunch of curtains and, and lightning and, uh, and big rooms and mansions. And this video sort of comes to a climax in a kind of enchanted, creepy fairy tale forest. And I think Meatloaf had like four videos that took place in the creepy enchanted forest. In fact, uh, my friend and your friend Maggie Sirota 
wrote an article called The Grunge Forest about all of the music videos that took place in this weird forest of the 1990s. And those meatloaf videos definitely took place there. And we go back there now for this Zach Brown video. Can, can I just talk about my unified theory of what's going on in this video since it seems to make no sense? I, I, here's, here's, here's the family setup. It's a human mother and forest spirit father, some kind of nymph or, or something along those lines. So Zach Brown is not human. Um, that explains why he doesn't age over the 20 years. It explains why he has this sort of mystical knowledge to give about the woods. Um, then, uh, you know, the, the, the daughter is half woods spirit. So he's teaching her how to interact with the fireflies because they're somehow a very powerful part of the forest. Um, then at the end, when they're, when they're in the woods, um, he... He points the gun at these two guys, but I don't know that they're, that they're human either because they don't seem scared of the gun. It just sort of holds them off for a minute. The only thing that really scares them is when the fireflies come out, and then they then they run away. So I think that um, they realize that he's sort of the woods god or whatever, um, and he's saving his half-human daughter um, and making sure that her boyfriend, who is a weird uh, wimp who doesn't want to commit but also wants to cheat on her... Um, uh, can't hurt her anymore, I guess. I'm not exactly sure how, how that fits in. But, uh, yeah, that's my general theory is that uh, Zach Brown is actually an ageless uh, wood elf of some kind. And uh, he's teaching his daughter that she's going to be ruling the woods someday or something like that. Well, Patrick, I think this theory, it holds a lot of water and only time will tell whether or not Zach Brown is an ageless wood nymph. Uh, thank you very much for joining me here today on Videohead, Patrick, and we will talk to you very soon. Again, if you want to follow Pat on Twitter, he is at Patty Moe. He's an extremely funny person, and you will get a lot of enjoyment from following him on Twitter.com. Uh, thanks, Pat, man. thank you. I will see you soon. Thank you to Pat Monahan for joining me to discuss that truly troubling music video. I'm your host, Daniel Ralston. I'm at Daniel Ralston on Twitter. If you missed episode one of Videohead with Jonas Ockerland talking about his work with Madonna, Lady Gaga, and Beyonce, you can subscribe to the show over on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This is Videohead from the MTV Podcast Network. This episode of Videohead was produced by Mukta Mohan, Michael Catano, and Kasia Mihailovich for the MTV Podcast Network. The Videohead theme song is by Roxanne Clifford. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at MTV Podcasts. And subscribe to this and other MTV Podcasts wherever you find your favorite shows.